good to go here? We're all in? We're all plugged in? Do you think we would make a even better podcast if we recorded at night? No, why? Do you think we'd be more awake? Like, afternoon? Mm. Just hypothetically? The reason you say that is because you think you'd be more awake? No, I mean, I'm pretty awake now. I just wonder. I don't think it makes a difference. Okay. You're about the same level of energy throughout the entire day. Yeah, I come on at night. Actually, your voice sounds kind of raspy. Does it? Maybe because I did so much yelling yesterday at bowling. Did you really do that much yelling? Uh, I think so. I think I was I was pretty energetic yesterday at bowling. You were pretty energetic. I genuinely yeah. thought you might fall though. What? A couple times. No. Yeah. Cause you were like the way you bowl, you hop. Like you entirely come off the ground. Hey, I'm a power bowler, okay? You're Anyways, right. you definitely so are. Sharice and myself and a few others within the do I call it the Hong Kong creative community? I sure. Don't know. I don't know. We'll you use that as a catch-all. I have no other witty way of explaining. I mean, you can just say that you, me, and a couple of friends went bowling last night. But there is a unifying theme around it. So Sure. Okay, creative community. We're using it. We're going with it. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, so we uh, started this little social club. Okay, no, to be fair, we kind of co-opted Chris and Carlo's bowling night. Yeah, we. so Chris and Carlo, Chris being Chris from Macon, and Carlo being one of his best friends or his best friend. Anyways, yes. uh, they go bowling pretty regularly and we just basically hijacked that. Yes. And we put a, to be honest, okay, full transparency. I wanted to put a name around it so that we could brand it so we could do bowling shirts at some point in time. All right. Yes. So we called it Fragrant Harbor SC, SC meaning sports club. Fragrant Harbor being the English translation of Hong Kong. From Cantonese or well, Chinese. from any... All right, Eugene, whatever. There's only. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to think. Okay, Chinese is not my strong suit. Chinese is not my strong suit. Anyways, moving on. Fragrant Harbor SC. Yes, this is the second time we've been bowling together. Yeah, it's been fun because it's been good. My whole belief has been that traditionally, when quote unquote creative people get together, they just get hammered and go partying, which is not to say we don't do that. God, it's people just are that, learning a lot about our weekend selves. I think that's pretty right normal. Anyways, the weekend's the weekend. How do we come together on the weekday? So we go bowling now. It's pretty fun. We do want to do other sports. It's meant to be... We played ping pong after a yard bird. I did see that. Table tennis, yeah. Um, the idea is not just to be a bowling club. Yeah, it's an all-inclusive sporting experience. Ideally. So if you're ever in Hong Kong, feel free to uh, swing by. Or if you want to start... A sports club for the creatives in your community. Better. Yeah, that's a better call. That's a better shout. You should do that. Sports for the non-athletic. Oh, sorry. Eugene's going to hate that. Eugene is athletic. Uh, I'm not there very good at There are a couple of us who are not athletic. But yes, but You see, almost beat me in the second game. Yes, I almost did. But see, we cannot all come together and play football with you. It's about managing the expectations, right? It's like, what are we going to go and do and have fun together where you... It, winning is nice, but it's not the most critical component. All right, enough bowling talk. Should we get into it? Yeah. Just a heads up, I have a feeling there's going to be some strong language today. There's a, a lot of emotion in the room right now. Sharice is on Heavy one. topics. Yeah. We mentioned this in the last podcast, but just to follow up, we're going to start migrating, making it up to its own feed and own show. So it'll no longer be within the making sort of general feed. And you'll be able to find things a lot more easily. It so- doesn't mean that... These episodes are going away. 
We're going to move all of the back episodes as well to making it up. And then this channel, this Macon channel, will continue to have all of the news stories we're publishing. So we're in the process of migrating things over. So maybe give us a week or two, and then hopefully by then we'll be up and running. All right, start us off. Going heavy first. <sighs> okay. The Federal Communications Commission is voting in December, in mid-December, on rolling back Obama-era net neutrality rules. And we did talk about net neutrality before on Making It Up. And I'm sure that if you are North American-based or even just anyone around the world in tune with NA News... And internet culture. Yeah, you are aware of what's happening. But Eugene and I both felt that net neutrality is important enough of a topic and also important to us at Macon specifically to bring this up again, to mention what's going on. I don't want to hijack this, but there's two points that I want you to touch upon. First... You're cutting this, right? You're just telling me this? Okay, whatever. I mean... I don't know. Okay, what are the two points that you want me to cover? uh, And now I feel compelled to leave it in. I'm leaving it in. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Number one, number one, for people that don't know what net neutrality is, what is it? And number two, why is it important on a global perspective, even though the majority of the talks are happening in the United States? I think those are two things you need to clarify. What if I was like totally unprepared? Um, <laughs> I don't know. You would have egg on your face. I don't know. It would have been know. wildly disappointing to you. No, I'm ready. Okay. At its core, net neutrality means that any internet service providers, and if you are in the States, this means Comcast, AT&T, Cox, Verizon Charter, et cetera, These internet service providers cannot engage in any kind of actions that would limit or manipulate the choices you make online. So that's at its very core. Yeah. So an example that commonly, most common example that people talk about is if you imagine that there are fast lanes and slow lanes to the internet. Basically, that ISPs, internet service providers, ISPs can choose what goes into the fast lane, what content is the quickest, and what content is in the slow lane. And there's a lot of hypothetical situations that people have been talking about what a fast lane and what a slow lane could really look like. Hey, listeners. At this point of the podcast, Sharice talks about an item of news regarding net neutrality that both she and I believe to be true. We found out after this recording that this news item was actually false, a.k.a. fake news. Rather than leave it in or cut it out entirely, we thought it'd be best to put it in this note. The item of news was not obviously fake and was shared quite widely. But the lesson to be learned? Always double, triple check your sources. One thing that you may have seen, um, there's an article on courts about net neutrality in Portugal. And Portugal does not have rules in place, like the ones that are currently in place in NA and the ones that the FCC are voting on. And what's happened in Portugal is that there's like a standard internet package, and then you have to add money for different services. So for example, you don't have to add any money to get Twitter, Facebook. I'm just going to read this straight. Friendster, MySpace, Yahoo. I Okay, if you want to use the services... MSN, et cetera, but you would have to add $5 to get Google, WordPress, Flickr, YouTube, just some of them. You have to add $10, an additional 10 on top of the five to get 
YouTube, Hulu, Netflix, ESPN, et cetera. Okay. So this is one example of what. It's kind of like cable in a way. Yes, exactly. Bundled like cable packages. Um, So this is an example of what like a fast lane and a slow lane could look like. But something else that it could look like is let's say Verizon wants to make its own search engine, just hypothetically. They could prioritize their own search engine and block out. They might not completely block the service, but they could make the connection to Google and Bing and Yahoo really, really slow. And an example of this is like the Chinese firewall, right? Technically, you could try to access Yahoo and Bing and Google, et cetera, but it would be really, really slow. And you would just be able to use, if you use Baidu, it's, you know, yeah. A sec, like not at all. It's a blink. So these are examples from globally what not having net neutrality rules looks like. And there is an argument. So I'm just going to play the other side, which I did find a argument that is somewhat more credible. I was telling Eugene yesterday that I read an argument that I found not credible at all. Actually, I'll tell both the arguments. Yeah. Okay. So the, the arguments for the side of eliminating net neutrality rules. One is that regulation of ISPs should come under another area of law. And I'm not an expert on this, but this is something that people have said is that even if the FCC removes its control over ISPs, there still remains in place other branches of government that would watch over it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's one argument. Another argument Um, by an economist named Michael Katz and also said this to courts is that having paid prioritization is a good thing. Because it's optimal. So an example is that how if you are shopping online, you can choose to pay more for FedEx or you can choose to pay more for, you know, next day shipping. So that's the idea is that you could pay more for faster internet, right? Except the counter argument is it's not just holistically everything is fast and everything that's slow that's worrying, right? It's mm-hmm. if you divide up what kind of thing is served quickly and what kind of thing is served slowly. And then the really poor argument that, oh, my opinion that this is a poor argument is that you can trust ISPs because they haven't been abusing net neutrality rules and you know, Verizon, Comcast, et cetera, haven't made any moves to suggest that they want to take down Netflix, Google, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a very poor reason because you can't look at what they've done in the past and say, oh, they're definitely not going to do that in the future. Yeah. Especially because if you take... Telecom companies traditionally have a pretty poor track record. Yeah. Right? They, I don't... I mean, there's been so much in the news, like we cannot trust even companies you might like like you enjoy using Facebook and Instagram, you can't trust them. And I think, actually, generally, the public does not have a good experience with AT&T and Verizon, et cetera. I don't feel any reason as a consumer that you should trust them. Yeah. Especially if you take off their, essentially, all regulation. There is part of me that thinks that a lot of their power is based on old school opportunities within within the marketplace that I don't think are as relevant anymore. So it's like, well, if there's a more optimal way of doing it, why are we allowing them to return back to the previous sort of systems? The barriers to entry of course, are really high. Because of that. infrastructure. Infrastructure, all that stuff. But I don't know. And I think one of the big arguments too is like, is the internet a fundamental human need, right? Is like water, is like energy, stuff like that. 
Okay, so to speak to that point, which yeah. is what I find particularly important, because I think, and I would encourage anyone listening to go out and search Quartz, The Verge for net neutrality topics, because there's a much more thorough explanation than the basic one that I've given. But the, there's two things that really interest me, and it's about this idea of internet as a basic need. Yeah. And one of the things that scares me that I saw kind of floating around Twitter and the internet is a situation where there are no net neutrality rules and the way the internet is divided results in higher quality information only being available to people who can afford it. Correct. And what I mean is, and as if it, people didn't already know how I feel about some news outlets, what I mean is like, let's say you didn't have to pay anything for Fox News and Breitbart and 4chan, et cetera, to be fast. Yeah. That was the stuff that came in quickly for not paying more than yeah. basic internet service. And then you had to add five, ten $10 a month for Quartz and New York Times and WAPO and whatever it you is. You might also need to have another layer of subscription based on top. Exactly. Yeah. And you can argue it doesn't mean that it's not there but it's such a restriction, that economic restriction, you can see what would happen. Yeah. Right. I, are, I already feel as though this is happening. Like, there's already a fractured state developing in terms of how we consume content. Content can be entertainment. It can be kitschy, whatever, which is traditionally social media. And social media is free, which mm -hmm. is why it's been so hard for people to understand why good quality content, good quality storytelling, journalism costs money, right? Well, I can get free stuff on social media. Yeah. There's that element of it. Um, and you're seeing it too. It's like, well, you know what? If I want true information, then I have to go elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And if you go elsewhere, they need to find a way to subsist, yeah. right? And they won't have the scale of social media. So that's one way of looking at it. The second way, a second argument too that I like to propose is we're already at a point in time where there's limited voices. You know, you're at a point in time where tech companies are, you know what, well, there's a new startup coming up that's doing well, acquire them. Yeah, right? exactly. So there's less and less point of views being presented. And if you are to be an independent, this is another sort of blow to your desire to not necessarily dominate the world. No one says about domination so much as having a point of view and having choice and having the ability to be in front of people. Because my next thing I'm going to throw to you, not that I'm going to challenge you so much as like, I want to hear your perspective on what does it mean to be an independent publisher in the face of, you know, a lack right. of net neutrality? Yeah. The way the internet that is structured now and the way you receive your internet is that it gives fair play to startups and independent publications or any website that's small. You know, like your personal blog, the same thing, okay? That any retailers too. website Anybody. with small traffic that's not a very big audience still gets fair play. By fair play, I mean, you know, equal coverage, equal, like equal speed of downloading as Netflix, yeah. as YouTube, et cetera. But in a non-net neutrality world, all of the small guys would basically just be overlooked. It becomes yeah. focused on- Or it just on, becomes very difficult for you to find them, for you to, and the user experience just goes down. Yeah. yeah. And the entire conversation would be about, you know, what is Facebook paying Verizon to get faster service? Yeah. What you were describing about how there are fewer and fewer voices and really tech companies are acquiring small businesses so that it winds up just being a couple of pockets now. Mm -hmm. 
the focus becomes increasingly on these couple of pockets. It's kind of like you only have, you know, four apps. The average person might only have four apps they use. Mm -hmm. That becomes solidified. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. You know, so yeah, I mean, it's it's discouraging. It's definitely discouraging. And I, I, I really worry that even though if this was to go through, the first movements might not be all that detrimental because it's like, oh, you know what? We're going to be in our best behavior, but just give it some time. Yes. And then, yeah. So, so there is that, arg- sorry, yeah. there's that argument that maybe nothing bad will happen, but I don't see why you would take that chance. I don't think eliminating the rules. Yes, you could say what Eugene and Sharice are talking about a hypothetical future is unlikely. Like what are the chances, right? But I don't think why why take that chance at all. Yeah. I don't think removing the rules results in so much of a benefit. The benefit, so the FCC says, um, the FCC agency chairman, by the way, is Ajit Pai, if you've been seeing that name floating around. And his main argument is that we should let the ISPs experiment with new practices. And maybe what comes out of that is better for us as well as consumers. Maybe. The big maybe. Maybe. It's yeah. such a huge maybe. Yeah. Because also maybe they put us at tremendous risk. Yeah. Sharice is on something today. It gets me fired up. Yeah. But I also want you to elaborate. Oh, right. On. Which part? The global part or the, the part small of, publisher? I want you part. to. Well, I think we touched on the small publisher part. Okay. I want you to elaborate on why, despite the fact this is happening in the United States, this could yeah. have global ramifications. Yes. So unfortunately... Fortunately, unfortunately, a lot of the world still looks to the states for examples, like looks at what is happening in the states to see, you know, what, what, what might we do in the same area? And even if it's not like the people as in the individuals are like, oh, North America is doing this. So we're copying it. I can really imagine an internet service provider in Hong Kong being like, oh, hey, look how well Verizon is doing in the States, like maybe we can lobby the Hong Kong yeah. government. Who do we know where we yeah. can re-examine these rules? Yeah. Uh, my pushback against that is I really think it's, this is really complex, only, but governmentally dependent in the sense that I think that two things, one, the erosion of soft power in the United States is happening as, yeah, you I know, think like so. I think people give less and less of a shit of how the United States is doing things. Like yes. I just think over the last the last whatever year or so, right? That's one way of looking at it. Second is, I think you do have, there's a reality that extends into how a government traditionally operates. Like I think some some governments might take the, the, the American approach. Other governments might be, hey, you know what? I think Canada's one, right? Like just Justin Trudeau is like pushing back. He's like, oh, this is not, this is not our alley. So it's really dependent on the government side of things it might give people ideas but it really comes down to the overall belief system while i think there's credibility in this argument i don't think it's a sure end you know what i mean yep um i think well i i think partially what i said is oh it's possible that isps globally could look at the isps in the u.s and push governments to make regulations similar to the u.s depending on how things play out but also just because of the news about net neutrality in the states, I it causes focus on net neutrality globally, mm-hmm. and and not because not that I don't want us to talk about the states, but there is there's like a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. If we talk about the states, it's like oh, what's happening in Europe? What's happening in Asia? And 
it's whether good or bad, when you shine a light on that happening in the States, we're going to wind up shining the light on what's happening elsewhere. And this could result in a good thing, right? This could result in Hong Kong, for example, saying like, actually, we, and, and what you were saying about Justin Trudeau, it could result in other countries being like, we have no plans on moving. We, we love what we're doing. It's yeah. working for us. Mm-hmm. And for example, um, there's news about the Telecom Regulatory Authority of India, which just at the end, I don't think this was, I think it was coincidental timing. But at the end of November, they released their recommendations on net neutrality, making it mandatory for telecom companies to treat the internet as a public utility. Yeah. And there's there's more to this. And, and I was going to just interject really quickly. Yeah. I don't know if you guys remember, but a few years ago, Facebook tried to go into India and provide internet. And India was like, no, I don't want it mm. because they didn't want to be tied. And I think there is part of it, and this is definitely an aside, but colonialism in the 21st century looks different. It's like digital colonialism, right? Like, am I building the pipes for your internet? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. That's something I can exactly. share in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. No, there's so many articles we can share. And um, the the news about India shutting out Facebook's offer of free internet is also referenced in the news mm. that's about their current, um, what to say, just their current affirmation of their stance, just reinforcing the fact that like we we are mainly focused on unhindered and non-discriminatory access to the internet. That's, that's a straight quote from mm. um, the India version of the FCC. Yeah. So maybe we can end off with how can people get involved, even though they're not, you know, based in the U.S.? Is this it really is, about telling people, like, the importance of this? This is the most bleak. <laughs> I mean, already, like, all of it is bleak, but... No, but you have to, you have to frame it in that, a way. The part about what change you can do is the most bleak because there is little evidence that the FCC will listen. There's still another step after this, though, right? It still has to go to Congress. Before I self-defeat myself and suggest that there's nothing we can do, what you can do is you can... Netizens, people on the internet who are for net neutrality, have released the three main people at the FCC's emails. So you could do that. You can email Ajit Pai directly. Don't say like, you know, don't swear at him. Don't say F off. But express your opinion on net neutrality and why you think, why they should vote no on rolling back these rules. Okay. I think it's more of a symbolic support. I don't think anything's going to change. Well, it's important that you distinguish yourself from a bot because there have been bot issues, but I don't want to get into it. Got it. Well, don't send a blank email. Like, no, what's no, the point no, I know. Too? But I'm just okay. saying, like, you I think that email. it's important to, like, to note that, hey, you're interested in this topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's important to say this is what you're concerned about. And if you don't want to draft a whole email, there are some online that you can copy. Um, so you can email them. You can leave a comment on the FCC website. They have tens of thousands of comments already, but... If we stand on the ground that <clears throat> every little bit helps, which I would like to think does, then you can leave a comment on their website. There are a whole bunch of change.org petitions related to this topic. But the thing that I think would help the most, which I, unfortunately Eugene and I cannot do because we're not based in North America and we don't pay taxes or vote, is you can call your representative. 
and say that this is important to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I also think spreading the message and demystifying it. I mean, that's also why we're talking about it, right? That's why we decided to do it. I think you did a really good job today, honestly. No, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I think just if you have a friend who says, hey, I've been seeing net neutrality all over social media, and honestly, I have not the foggiest idea, now you can explain it to them. And I think that helps too. Let's end off with a smile on your face. Yes. That was good. That was really good. I think you did a great job of outlining that. Hey everyone, net neutrality continues to be on my and Cherise's mind, and we did some additional reading after this recording. Our thoughts and understanding of this subject continue to be shaped by new ideas, and we'd like to share some of that information with you on the show notes below. My topic this week is, what does it mean to grow up online and are we accountable for what we say? It's pretty obvious, yeah, we're accountable, but this is on the back of something that happened, uh, I think about last last week. Yeah. Uh, this is from an article on Days Digital. So Attitude, a British gay lifestyle magazine, recently published an article accusing rapper Stormzy of making homophobic remarks in a number of tweets. This would definitely be cause for alarm in 2017 as homophobia shows serious ignorance and Stormzy is a figure in the public eye. But if you look closer to the tweets, they date back to when the rapper was only 17. Mm, Only. Well, he was 17. There's an alarming trend that Days discusses in this article where media outlets are intentionally trawling through celebrity timelines for anything that might sound bad. Having said that, there's a pretty clear indication that obviously it's not stuff you want to be put out in the public eye. The bigger implication here is, is this, how does this factor in into the overall picture, right? I think the one of the key things the I look at... The overall picture of the internet? Social media, identity, all these things. And I think that we're, you and I are very unique. And I say this wholeheartedly because we're both of the sort of era or generation where we grew up online, offline. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I know what it's like to be offline, to not have social media. I, I also too. know what it's like to be online. So I'm, well, I didn't grow up with Facebook. There's a new generation of people that are growing up with Facebook and know exactly what it's like to to be di- a digital native. Mind you, you and I probably grew into it. Doesn't mean that we don't fully understand Well, because we everything. were, we kind of came of age slash we're coming of age when Facebook was just emerging. I think I was 18 or 19. When you made your first Facebook out? I think so. Oh, maybe, maybe a little bit later, 20. Oh, I'm a yeah. little younger than you. I think I was yeah. around 14. but. It wasn't 14, 15. I don't know. But the thing is that it was not used the way it was now. No. There's a difference, no. right? And we yeah. didn't have Instagram. And I think one of the key things is when I look back on my youth, and even when I look back at a recent, relatively recent interview I did with Gary Warnett, like, um, you know, that was kind of a, an homage to him and his passing. Yeah. I look back and I'm like, holy, like, there's some shit in here that probably wouldn't be good if I said it I today. remember you telling me that. You I were felt like, a little should bit, I edit I was a little out bit shook. some I'm like, of this stuff? Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, but I also thought about my youth and I'm like, hey, you know what? Honestly, the whole process of growing up is about experimentation. I don't say that in the worst way possible. It's really about finding your way, yeah. right? And if you're not able to make mistakes and, and have points of view, period, which I think are critical 
you'll never really know what's right or wrong. And Have, we're now in a yeah, go we're ahead. now in a place where everything is as though someone's looking over, over our shoulder. And there's not really an opportunity to explore and figure out what's right or wrong. I'm not saying I condone homophobia, but no, I also I think that... We, I, I don't think I am suggesting that or anyone would suggest that. But I think there has to be a sort of opportunity for kids to be kids, right? And I think it's kind of bullshit when you're going and looking at things that people said when they're 15, 14 or 15, when they honestly are the most malleable like they're doing stuff that, you know, if someone, if the cool kids are saying this, they don't have the ability to pull themselves out necessarily and be like, hey, you know, this is wrong. You know, try try telling a 16-year-old to stand up to his friends, but hey, what you're saying is wrong. I don't think so much. I don't think it's like I want kids to mess up publicly online. It just so happens I think that, that the you public should... element is there though. Right. No, no. Because what you said is like... From the, from the dawn Exactly, exactly. Because you were saying, you phrased it as, I want the opportunity for kids to be kids. And I would like to, them to just do what comes naturally to them. Not to say that I want them to be homophobic, but, you know, do what comes naturally. And later on in life, I think just people need to be aware that even though it's public and it's online, maybe that's not the right material to use to attack someone. Like, I can look back at my youth and... and you know, if if you had on the record everything I've said, I'm like, dude, it's not it's not something you it's not something you can publish. But I also had to figure out on my own that hey, you know what, that's not right or wrong. I didn't even necessarily have someone to come in and police me. I think not there, like the so, quote unquote social justice warriors of today. I do want to add there are things that even a 13 year old should not say, and they should know to not say. Like, how are they? Are they though? Do you, like, do you think if? Because there is a problem with young boys who troll women making totally. you know, rape threats and death threats. And I don't think that gets a pass. I don't think it gets a pass Even either. If you're but 13. I also think that it's it's also based around their social surroundings. I think there should still be repercussions. I for think there's that. accountability 100%. But I also think that there's a point in time where, unless we find a way to actually solve the root of the problem, the most damning thing is. Does it carry on into adulthood? Yes. I was going to say, I thing. think, okay, so Stormzy, right, the example that we led off with, I think when he was 17, I don't know how famous he was then, but whoever were, were his peers, at 17, that was the time when he should have been corrected and said like, hey, actually, like, you know, this isn't okay yeah. to say. This is, that's not the reality of the situation. Yeah. But it's not... It's not a good call to now bring this back up and not look at who Stormzy is now yeah. and say, you know, this is a reason to turn against this guy. Yeah. Right. Because I look at it then, I don't know how old he is now. Let's just say it was, you know, eight years ago, right? There was also a very different social landscape eight, ten years ago where, you know, you didn't have the same He was 24, so yeah. seven years ago. Yeah. You don't have the same level of accessibility to the information and awareness you have now, too. Right. So I, that's the one thing that I think is just, it's just people looking for bullshit content, creating a mess of something that honestly, I don't think it's credible. I do think it's bullshit content. Yeah. Ooh, we just swore twice. That's Sorry. fine. But um, damn, I, we're really on something today. Hey, Sharice. <laughs> we're both angry today. Like what I would, what I look at now is you can no longer even go and just be yourself. I just think that you shouldn't go and be yourself online all the time. No, but it's it's not always like that either because think about it. If I go somewhere, there's an opportunity someone could be documenting what's going on. 
right? And that's another thing that's out of my control. Let's let's use yesterday at bowling. Like, you know, someone was recording, someone was taking photos. It's so funny that you say this when the I was prime the one I was suspect doing. is you. I was doing it, right? Yeah. But I'm just saying that you you no longer have that sort of privacy. And the sometimes the privacy is a relative thing that allows you to figure out what you are. Cause like, you know, if you're in a group of friends saying ignorant shit, then that's fine. Right. I think that ha- that's the one way, that's the one place where you can slowly figure stuff out amongst a quote unquote safe area, right? Mm-hmm. It's better to have that happen in that context versus in the public light where people don't know you, don't know contextually your background, anything. It is interesting to think of IG stories and Snapchat as a kind of self-surveilling. You might unintentionally be filming and catch someone out saying something that they might not have meant to. But just the fact that that could happen puts everyone a little bit more on edge, a little bit more aware of what they're doing. It's not really fun, right? I I don't know, but then part of me feels like, shouldn't you always be the best person that you can be? I think I agree, but I also think that you cannot 100% guarantee that you're always going to be that model citizen. I can't guarantee it, (laughs) but I feel like this is a general, this is one of my general life governing rules is that you should be as good of a person in public and in private. Yeah, I agree. I I prescribe to that. But the reality is that. I mean, of course, people make mistakes. Yeah. People slip up. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you if you know of the author, the writer, Lauren Duca. No. So she writes for Teen Vogue and she wrote an article last year that got a lot of hate. It was about Donald Trump. And then Tucker Carlson like brought her on air and kind of blasted her and they had like a big argument. So anyway, I follow her on Twitter. She's the same age as me. And she still gets a lot of hate from like just no matter what she says, people just find ways to pick at her statements. It could be the most well-intentioned sentence and they find reasons to, you know, call her out for it. And she once said, I am learning publicly online and I just want people to be aware of that. Like, and I, I, that's just stuck with me because I think of that too when I tweet or use Instagram or IG stories is that I'm choosing to expose the way I am learning online. Because even if right now I think that I'm doing well, I'm sure that in a couple of years, I'm going to look back and it's like, oh, I was really still figuring this out for myself. Yeah. Even doing this podcast is a way of allowing myself to be publicly. So are you saying that participation on the internet is public? Yeah, I think so. As much as we want to be private, it's, it's, that's counter to what the internet represents. Yeah. I think it's just by that, that choice. Interesting thought. We say way more dumb stuff as kids, but even as adults, you know, I think you're still learning things yeah and every day yeah both of us like we want to be learning right yeah and that just means wherever we are right now and the way people look at us is in progress and a vulnerability but i I don't i think that what you've proposed is actually a very profound or deep thought (laughs) like i don't think most people are thinking of it like that like they just go on the internet and whatever but i i think that it makes me contextualize a bit better like you know if you're going to go ask a question online in a public space, what does that mean? You know, and I, those, those are things that I, I'm trying to get better at too, because mm-hmm. 
there's certain people or things or whatever that, you know, people have more knowledge than me everywhere. And I feel like when I was younger, I'd be more inclined to ask questions. But as I get older and there's a persona attached to it, I've done it less. Mm. And I think that's problematic. Mm-hmm. Right? I think so too. I I think about how sometimes when I'm publishing something, anything online, I question what am I adding to this conversation? Mm-hmm. Why does the internet need my additional voice? But I think by stopping myself, like if I refrain, I also prevent myself from having a learning opportunity. Yes. Yeah, totally. I think that was a good ending. It was a good uh, series of discussions today. All right, just to hammer it home, we are moving Making It Up episodes to its own dedicated podcast stream that will be under Making It Up and will just be these episodes. And Making will continue to have our new stories published on it. So it's not live yet, but we will tell you when it's up and give you the link to that. I think that's a good place to end things. If you are interested in hearing more about Making and our membership opportunities, these include things like exclusive content, members-only Slack channel, weekly briefings. You can head over to Makin.com. There you'll listen and experience more of our stories focused on the sights and sounds of creative culture. You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platforms. And if you like this podcast, you can do us a huge favor by reviewing us on iTunes or sharing this podcast with a friend. I'm Sharice. I'm Eugene. And this is Making It Up. Whoa, whoa, that's my line. Oh, you're right. Let's redo this. Oh, we flipped it around. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Just jumped right in there. All right. I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up. Making It Up.